Hey there, and welcome to Creative License, where we dive into what makes creative people successful and immerse ourselves in that process. I'm your host, Alex Perlman. Adam Farber has always been interested in, his words, tinkering and bringing projects from a design on paper to real life. That's led him to a thriving career behind the scenes in theater, currently serving as the head carpenter on the brand new Six National Tour, a pop musical about Henry VIII's wives. Yes, you could guess there were six of them. The guy got around. It's one of the most successful and promising shows in recent memory since it finally debuted last fall. You'd have to look long and hard to find a review that isn't an all-out rave, and I'm not sure a bad write-up even exists. The Washington Post called it the pulse-quickening treasure trove that Broadway has been waiting for. So, simply put, Adams landed an incredible gig. But you might be asking, what does a touring head carpenter actually do? Well, a lot. He's responsible for the show's scenery and is in charge of creating the plan to safely set up and take down all elements of the production, overseeing the crew, advancing the needs of the show ahead of each city, and ensuring that what was drawn on paper ends up on the stage in the same way for everyone to experience. Pretty important job. Adam's also a skilled furniture designer and builder. In fact, as I record this, I'm sitting at a beautiful walnut desk that he constructed pandemic hobby that could become more down the road. How did he get here? Let's find out. I'm really excited about this week's episode because this is something that I know absolutely nothing about. Set design, carpentry, building stuff that is not my area of expertise by any means. Thankfully, it, it is yours, though. And when did you start to become interested in, you know, theater, set design, that sort of thing? Well, Alex, I think it went all the way back to, to high school, right? I started really enjoying theater and enjoying lighting, actually, and, and kind of started to find, find a, niche, a niche thing to go towards. I didn't really get into sports. That wasn't my thing. So I started lighting because it was cool. You... It was an interesting way of, of, of spending of spending the time and like working on a creative process. I'm not really good at dra- like drawing, hand drawing. I'm not a painter. That's but I still enjoy the art of it. And so went into the theater, started doing lighting, went to college, and the first year at college, I was more thinking I was headed towards a lighting design or a lighting technician kind of area. And then I realized that it was a lot cooler to take a pile of wood and make it into something else, opposed to just turning a bunch of lights on. And the, the, the technology of lighting kind of went in a completely different direction that I just didn't quite understand. And I grasped taking raw materials into and being able to build it into a physical, a, a, a physical something and, and thoroughly enjoyed that. And so took that further and uh, focused on technical direction and carpentry and drafting. And um, then when I graduated from college... Uh, did some work in shops, still building things, but realized that I also thoroughly enjoy the other aspect of still being in a, in, a, in, a, in a theater. And so wanted to get on the road, wanted to travel, and it started being more fun to move the show than just sit and run a show. And so went in a little bit in that direction too. Now and now I'm out on the road as the head carpenter of a show. So that's that's kind of been the progression a little bit there. 
Yeah, that's a good that that's that's a really good description of of what you do in a nutshell for sure. Uh, were you always really handy though? Was it something that you had to pick up, or were you always interested in in building as a kid and like getting things was, off the ground? I was always interested in building things from the beginning. I always like tinkering. My uh, I probably get it from my dad a lot. He's he's a pretty handy guy, uh, and so. Building became a passion to, to take what was on a piece of paper and make it into a real thing. Take an idea, take a scenic designer's idea and be able to bring it to reality. Like right now, the joke we have is that um, does what, what you're looking at look at what, like what's on the drawing? And if the answer is yes, then I've done my job. When you, when you think of handy, I also think there's an there's a element of um, just, I don't want to say common sense because I think that that's belittling the term a little bit it, in a way that if you just look at, if you look at a problem, there's always you can always figure out how to get through the problem, but you gotta do it meticulously and step by step in order to, to figure it out. And like, and most people, if they take a uh, take a moment and look at something, they can solve the problem. When you're talking about like solving this problem, what exactly do you do you mean by that? Because when when you're going out and building something, let's say for a set, you've got the design in front of you, right? You've got the, the drawings, yeah. you, you know what you need to build. What, what type of problem are you trying to solve? How do you make the same show look the same in every building you go to? And the, the problem or the task is how do you get those five trucks of gear into the building so that the people in Chicago have the same experience as the people in Omaha, Nebraska, as in Los Angeles, as in uh, Dallas, Texas, as in Orlando. So the job is to figure out how to accomplish that seamlessly, as, as safely as possible, as, effect, as efficiently as possible. And the way we do that is by advancing it, making sure we know what the spaces are, making sure that the show is built in a way before it even gets to Omaha, Nebraska, uh, that we know how, how the show goes together and that we can make sure that it it fits, and if it doesn't fit, we know how to adjust it to fit so that at least the picture always looks the same. Let's uh, let's back it up just a little bit. You, you talked about uh, going to college. You went to Ithaca um, and and got a, a BFA, you know, designing sets and in that sort of realm. How did that prepare you for what you were about to encounter in your professional life? There's a there's a handful of very good theater programs in college across the country. And, and Ithaca, in my mind, at least when I was there, is in the top tiers of those. We get taught a really great base of things. You get a base knowledge, and you're set up in a way so that when you go out into the, the real world, if you will, you have the skills to do the job, and you have the knowledge to know that you don't know everything. That seems incredibly important because there, it, there's a lot of professions that people go into coming out of college, and they think they've got the world solved. And like, you know, if they went out the next day and, and tried to solve world hunger, they would be able to do it. It's not the case though. You know, there's so much people don't know once they get into the real world. Yeah, and at the end of the day, there's different parts of entertainment and there's different knowledges, knowledge bases you need in each place, right? Like, and if you're in, the, in, in an educational setting, you need to have your educate. there's a lot of knowledge for in the educational world. Um, if you go into a shop, in a, a scene shop, uh, you have to bring a different set of skills and knowledge because you're you need to be more hands-on. You need to be able to build the thing that's build the flats, build the sets, build the uh, 
the intricate automation things and, and know how to build something so that someone else can put it back together. In a theater, you need to know how to put something together and also fix it in a different time. And like you need to know how to run a line set. You need to know how, like what soft goods are. And the guys in the shop don't, don't need to know about that because it doesn't affect them. Well, where, where you've come from is the national touring world. You've been doing that for, for a few years now. Of course, that's where, you know, if you're in the middle of the country or you're not in New York or in Chicago or somewhere where, you know, there, there's stationary theater, they come to you and you have to travel all of that stuff and put all that stuff up. And you've been doing that for a few years. Your most recent before uh, landing the head carpenter job at six was with uh, the Phantom of the Opera tour. What were you doing for them and, and how does that differ than what you're doing now? So on, I was out with Phantom of the Opera for like three and a half years. That's a long time. 14, yeah, I think 1400 shows. It was a while. And that show was, was a beast. It was one of the, the largest, heaviest shows on the road at the time. It was 16 trucks of everything, of scenery, of lighting, of costumes, of props. It was, it was a, it was a beast. And uh, there's five carpenters on that show. There's a head carpenter, two assistant. There's two assistant carpenters, a flyman, and uh, an automation operator. And so we each had our realm of the scenery to put together. And I focused mainly on assisting the flyman on hanging all the soft goods and getting the entire air show up. And then my then I transitioned to building these two massive walls that drove around in a circle that that created the entire set. So once that was put together, I started putting together the, the smaller scenic elements that were on, on stage right, on my side of the stage. And then once everything checked out, everything worked, my secondary job there was also the assistant automation operator, which meant that I was more of the mechanic, the, the hands-on nuts and bolts guy when, when dealing with the automation. If something broke, generally speaking... I was there to help fix it, but it was also the automation operator's responsibility to fix it. And then the, I was also able to run the automation console as well as a cover during different rehearsals, during whatever, if, it, if need be. What kind of automation, though, are, are we talking about? We're talking about a, a, a giant cylindrical wall that drove around in a circle in counterclockwise and clockwise that could also split apart. It had a whole bunch of uh, steps that popped out one side of it. Uh, and then there's also some some flying elements. There's um, there's two opera boxes that spun around on just a single point that brought us into different scenes. And then there was a giant um, like proscenium gold header piece that also had some automation in it. So that was a it was a bunch. It was a lot of stuff. I, I want to dive into now what what you're doing. The head carpenter for for the six national tour. That's in Chicago yes. right now, and it'll be in Chicago for, for quite a while. Uh, so it's a little come bit different. Tickets, than... uh, we're here through, uh, yeah, it's a little different, but come get your tickets. Uh, we're here through July 3rd, um, playing at the CIBC Theater. No. Uh, so, yeah, so my job now is this show is significantly different than Phantom. It is like it, you want to go from a very large, busy show to a relatively small but mighty show. Uh, we're we're currently sitting in. This is a five truck show opposed to a sixteen truck show. It is a thirty person company. But we have 
six queens on stage versus the 20 people that we had on stage for Phantom. We have uh, a crew of nine that includes everyone, opposed to a crew of 15 or so that included a whole bunch of uh, different, uh, more, more assistants, more advanced people that came out. And as the head carpenter, it's, it's the entire physical plant is, is my responsibility, I'd say. And we have a, a top-notch group of folks out here in each department who know how to do their jobs. And as long as everyone does their jobs cleanly, we're in a good spot. Adam, this is a job where clearly there's a plan for basically everything. Everything is decided where everything goes, you know, when things move, all of that. How do you find a way to use your your creativity in, in this job? Because you have a lot of it, but maybe sometimes it's not able to come out on a, on a day-to-day basis. So where do you find the ability to do that? See, I think the creativity is used on a regular basis out here because at the end of the day, that's the creativity is how you solve the problem. You take all the previous knowledge of all the ways you fixed problems in the past and you use that to fix the next problem. And sometimes you get, and, you get, and sometimes you have to get creative. So in theater we use, so there's a soft masking, like black, black legs that, uh, of, of just soft goods. Soft, they're fabric, fabric legs to create, to mask off what we don't want people to see. And in this city, because of the way the set is built, it's got a curve back to it, and there's some curved trusses for the lights, and we hung some legs that turned out to be in the wrong spot. And because we couldn't, couldn't get those legs off those pipes, because of, we couldn't get that pipe in, uh, we decided to hang new legs. And the creativity comes with the, well, now we have this problem. We have two legs hung off of a batten or a line set in the wrong spot. How do we solve this problem? And the answer is, you put, like the way they say in Chicago, is you put the, the line set in the, in the river, which means you just kind of fly the whole thing out of the way. And we hung off of ropes two different pieces of pipe to hang up two more legs. So now instead of being parallel with the front of the, the stage, we're now on an angle. Uh, and we are now in the right spot. So the creativity was like, well, we have this problem. How do we solve it? Take me through the process of getting ready for this tour and kind of what that entailed. Uh, it starts before I got hired. Um, there's a production carpenter, a good friend of mine, Andy. He's the head carpenter on the Broadway show. Uh, he's also the production carpenter on the Broadway show and uh, for all the tours going out. And it started with, with meetings with him and the scenic designers and the shops to decide how the show was going to get built. The shops presented build drawings that he, he approved uh, gave gave his insights too, and uh, so that we went from the way the show is drawn and designed, and to how the shop wants to have it built, and to us giving our input, or at the time him giving his input of how he, he how he wanted his show to be built. Fast forward a couple more weeks, I show up at the shop, I get on contract, and I start working. And my my job's in the shop now is to watch everything get built and make sure it's getting built the way we want it to be built. But I was there saying, walking around, seeing how things were going, seeing how the progress was, giving, in, giving my input on how I thought something should be built or asking about how some things are being built to make sure that when we take it on the road, it survives the journey. Or if there's some stuff where we have these two towers on either side of the stage that stack build and they are... What, is um, that? what does they, that mean, stack build? So what we do with them is we, we hang the first one off of a motor, of a chain motor, so we can lift that up. And then we slide a cart underneath there, and we drop the, the top one onto the second one, and we put some bolts through, 
and then you, you lift it up and you slide the other one underneath and you uh, bolt that together and you lift the whole thing up off the cart. But the way these are built is they're, they're three-sided triangles. It's like a triangle with like the corners cut off. The way the perforated steel of the design is, you couldn't get to bolts four and five. So you can only access three of the five bolt holes. And so I was talking to the, the, the people in the shop and I was like, can this be bolted together with just three bolts? Like, is it gonna be fine? Cause you put five in there, like, are we good? They're like, oh yeah, you'll be fine. It's like, cool. And then we were talking and I don't remember which, who it was, but one of us said, could we put alignment pins in this? Can we put pins in the other two holes that you can't get to so that when we go to stack build it, it locks together and then you don't have to spend a whole bunch of time with people on ladders trying to line up with the fairly heavy piece to set it down. Instead, you can just have two built-in pins and it drops into place. You do your bolts and now you're you're taking some of the, I don't want to say guessing work, but you're taking at the, 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 the need for another tool to use for the alignment. You're, you're building it into the piece. So that's something that the show carpenters were able to add in the shop opposed to us doing it later on. Smart, smart, so, but but that, yeah, but this is where that that creativity comes in. How can we mm-hmm. take this problem, or maybe it's not even it doesn't always have to be a problem, right? It can just be something mm-hmm. that you want to make better or improve, and that's right. how you did it. Exactly, and it's and it's not that someone else wasn't creative enough to figure out that as the solution or or something that was needed, because for the people on the shop floor. They put it together once, and they send it off to the to the show, and which is absolutely fine. And there's nothing against that. But the way you sometimes put things together on the shop floor in the setup building is different than it's a different. It's a more controlled environment, so you don't have two other departments trying to load the show in at the same time. You don't have a the the time crunch is completely different, and so that's why we spent a month at the shop giving our input on how the show gets built. Because at the end of the day, we're the ones who have to use it and it's our set. So the designer needs it built the way the design is and the carpenters need it built the way we need to tour it. What about, what about now though? Um, who are you collaborating with on a day-to-day basis? It's the rest of the crew. It's the stage manager team. It's the cast members. It's uh, mainly, I'd say, the production stage manager is the person who we collaborate with uh, schedules. Um, and scheduling, making sure that the that we that we support the stage manager team, who's making sure that the cast is having their proper rehearsals and what their needs are. And I'm also collaborating with the rest of the crew, I'm a, the, the other department heads. We have a fantastic team out here, and they they know how to do the, their jobs. And so it's just making sure, that, again, supporting them for what they need. During the pandemic, when you were not touring a show, nobody was going anywhere. You branched out into furniture. And started to design some some really interesting, um, creative, and uh, well-made furniture. Uh, what gave you the idea to to do that, and that that was something maybe that could at least pass the time in between when you were able to head back to the theater again? Well, I got off the road. My show closed February seventh, two thousand twenty, uh, and I went home to my parents' house in Tarrytown. And they, I had the plan to take a couple weeks off, you know, go on vacation. I had just gotten off the road. I was just been on the road for three and a half years. It was time to take a break. What I say is like, we lucked out. We, we closed the show and threw the party. 
and we all were at home. We were already home. We didn't have our jobs ripped out under from underneath us. We just didn't get the next job right away. And it was the safest place to be. I had plans to like go and do some um, apartment sitting and like couch surfing a little bit, but that didn't happen. So I cleaned up half of my dad's garage because it was a mess. And then I started realizing that since the garage is clean, I might as well put a table here and uh, be able to come out here and fiddle with a table. And then I, once I made the table, I was like, well, I like drinking beer and these chairs out here are not comfortable. And so I started looking online to see if there was a, if there was a design of a chair that I could just make and make a chair, right? We had like the plastic Adirondack chairs from Home Depot. They're fine, except they're not comfortable. And I wasn't going anywhere, so I needed a chair to sit and drink beer in. So I found on in a magazine of, that a, a design for an Adirondack chair, and I made one. I sat down in the chair, and I drank my beer. And then my mother sat down next to me in the piece of uh, crap Home Depot plastic chair, and she said, this isn't comfortable. I'd like another chair. I went, I'm not making you a chair, Mom. Like, this is my chair. She goes, uh-huh. And then I made two more chairs. And my aunt said... Well, I want a chair. I went, great, they're $400. She went, I ain't spending $400 on a chair. I was like, okay. She's like, you have to figure out how to make it less expensive. I was like, cool. And I figured out how to find a different type of cedar that was a little more expensive. And she said, I said, they're $200 now. She went, great, I need two. And then her friends wanted a couple. And then like, so then 50 chairs later, I'm back on the road. So it all came from needing something to sit and drink beer in, but also give me something to do. I figured out how to redesign the chairs I was making to make them uh, come apart better so I can fit them in my car better for shipping and also be able to put them in the mail. Uh, so I was able to send a couple further out, but that was also got creative and be like, I, I stared at a problem for three months and suddenly there was that, that like the light bulb went off. It's like, oh, this is how we can fix this. Why did I, like, wh why have I been staring at this issue for this long? This seemed like such an obvious answer, but it just took a long time to to get to it. How did you, um, how did you get to the answer though? I just kept staring at the issue. The crux of the matter is that being a carpenter is yes, it's, it, it's building, it's doing all of the, these things, construction, but a lot of it is, is problem solving. And that was something that I really didn't understand as well either. Just the fact that you have to go out and solve these, these issues. And it's, really important not only the the physical part of it but also the the mental part and that there are all these decisions being made behind the scenes to what you see that people are completely unaware of yeah you're completely right it's very easy to to, to draw an idea up i mean i'm not good at drawing so it's not easy for me but it's it's easy to to have this conversation about something right we can sit down we can talk about we can talk about making a desk all day long but it's not as easy to build the desk. I joke a cutting board is just gluing a couple pieces of wood together because that really is all it is, depending on what you're doing. And the more you can get creative with it, you can do different designs to your cutting board. You can do end grain. You can do not. Like, there's some very intricate, beautiful work out there. But at the end of the day, it's just gluing some pieces of wood together. But it's not because you got to have that creativity. you got to be able to look at it. you got to solve that problem and, and know how to take a piece of wood that is seven feet long, three inches thick and four inches wide and get that into a more manageable piece. Like take your desk, right? For those who don't know, Alex is sitting at a very nice, uh, like seven foot wide walnut desk. It's a massive desk. And so with that, it's like five or six different pieces of, 
inch and a half thick walnut. And when I went to the store to buy it, they weren't all completely straight. It's rough pieces of, of walnut that you need to take and you need to decide how you're going to flatten them out. You have to joint them and then plane them and, and make them make them square. So when they go together, the whole thing becomes square and flat. And then once they're all flat, you have to figure out which is the way they're going to look best together. You want to make sure the grain is alternating on each piece so that over time when the, when the wood expands, that it, it, it doesn't just become a big old potato chip. There's process to that. And there's some uh, methods and, and, and uh, practices to, to take into consideration, but it's also then looking at the piece and being like, what's going to look best in function? There's a, there's a form of artistry to it, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. What about um, heading forward for you in your creative endeavors, whether it's in theater, whether it's outside theater? What do you, what do you feel like is next? What's something you want to accomplish? I, I don't fully know. Because right now what I want to do is I want to take this current show, I want to take it on the road for a little bit. I want to get my my tour of six moving. I want to get it right. I want to shake it all. Like I want to make sure it all, all works. And then I want to take my knowledge and help the next show that's going out in the fall uh, get that up running and pass on some, pass on what we've learned here and figure out that does or doesn't work on this show and get it fixed for the next one because that one moves a little bit faster and, and help them and set them up for success. And then further down the line, I want to get off the road at some point. I want to move into a house that has a three-car garage because the partner can get have her car in that garage. Um, and then the other two cars, space will be a, a wood shop for me. And then when most of the time, we'll move her car out of the garage and I'll have the entire space. But the the end game is definitely getting off the road and like being able to like enjoy the hobbies also. And I got really happy at home and not traveling. But it's also a passion of mine, and it's also a really great job we have out here, and I want to figure out how to possibly do both. Adam, this was great. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Creative License is created, hosted, podcasted. Podcasted, obviously. Let's try that again. Creative License is created, hosted, produced, and edited by Alex Perlman with inspiration and guidance from Hannah Rosenthal. Graphic design by Carrie Lindgren. Our thanks once again to Adam Farber for lending his insight and experiences this week. You can find Creative License on Twitter at CLPod and follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at AR Perlman. Shoot me a DM. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.